The Favorites Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I bet with FanDuel because they're safe and secure. They offer great odds and markets across the NBA, NHL, and more. And because it's fun to combine multiple bets into same game parlays. So if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code FAVORITES so they know I sent you. You must be 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Louisiana. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman. Chief Content Officer at the Action Network. I am joined, as I am for every episode, because he never takes a day off, which we talked about in his review. He's a very good worker. My co-host, my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, Simon Hunter. Chad, you love to say no days off. The NFL offseason apparently does not exist. I'm trying to prep for the draft, and it feels like every day we have a new quarterback on some different team. I can't remember ever being this way. This We're in a new era, kind of. What is it, two straight years? A team, a player switched team, a quarterback, Tom Brady, then Matt Stafford, and took those teams to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, there's so much to break down. We can't even get to all of it, but this is pretty crazy. Matt Ryan going from Atlanta to the Colts. I was dead wrong. I'll, I'll be up front. I had, I had heard whispers about the Deshaun Watson and the love for Atlanta Falcons. That's why I don't give out all my tips on the show, because sometimes the tips just, it's not going to work out that way, but. I'd been hearing since February that he wanted to go to Atlanta. So we gave out Atlanta 70 to one. They went all the way down to 35 to one to 40 to one to win the Super Bowl at FanDuel. Even the media got it wrong. Watson went to the Browns. So it's been a crazy week for NFL and betting NFL futures. And look, we're going to dig deeper into all of it as markets settle. Matt Ryan, you mentioned Deshaun Watson. You mentioned the NFL can't let anybody else have any attention, but (laughs) But around the world, it's going to be impossible for people to ignore the fact that it's Oscars week, Simon Hunter. And last year, one of our most popular off-season podcasts featured our guest returning today to talk Academy Awards betting, friend of the podcast, Mr. Michael Lasker, a true Hollywood insider a talent manager at Mosaic in Hollywood land. Uh, One of the once upon a time named one of the 40 most powerful people in comedy by the Hollywood reporter. Most importantly, he's a legitimate Oscars savant who if people don't remember or they're new to the podcast, because we have a lot of new listeners, Michael, our audience has blown up since you were last. I I heard that. I heard that. We are massive, massive. Uh, One of your party tricks is you can name all nominees and winners 
across the major award categories for any year in Oscars history. Uh, we will put that to the test oh later <laughs> in the episode. Um, so we are super excited you're here. We're going to talk Oscars betting across seven major categories. And by the way, Oscars betting is huge. It is huge in the way March Madness is huge because it's become sort of a galvanizing event. I don't know, Michael, if like you have that experience. Well, first of all, it is an absolute honor to be back. I really mean that. I had so much fun last year. Uh, I want to be clear, the 40 most powerful comedy list, that was like 40 of like 42 people. So that, that, that you're giving me too much credit. By the way, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's just a list that a magazine invents to sell magazines. Uh, they do those lists like every three weeks. God bless them. Here's what's really interesting about betting and the Academy Awards. A couple of things. First of all, as I'm sure you know, and I would think most of your listeners probably know, the Golden Globes are like kind of on ice, right? Now, the Golden Globes don't have anybody that vote for it that are also in the Academy because the Golden Globes are these foreign uh, journalists who vote for it. But the point being is there have always been a lot of precursor awards leading up to the Oscars, which is why some people think the Oscar ratings are going down. There's too many award shows, which I totally agree with. But the Golden Globes didn't happen this year. They kind of happened in absentia. And then you have like the Critics' Choice Awards and SAG. But the point is, nobody who votes for the Academy Awards has voted in that block yet. Because when the guilds have their awards, like the DGA, the WGA, the PGA, that's a whole another separate group of like massive amounts of producers or directors or writers. So the point being is, well, think of it like this. You guys are betting on like the Patriots playing the Colts. You've watched the Patriots play like 16 games in a row. No one's actually watched any of these people do anything except they've seen the actual movies. So my point is that at the end of the day, there's 10,000 Academy members. No one knows what they're going to do. And I often say, if you've been nominated for an Oscar, you can win. If you got to the final ballot, why can't you win? You're already there. So yes, there are oftentimes there are favorites. We'll get to that. Uh, excuse the pun. Like, and jumping ahead, obviously, like Will Smith is like one of the big favorites on Sunday for King Richard. You guys must feel good because you got like a sports movie in the mix this year. So you guys, you guys feel like you're being paid attention to. But my point being is that it's an interesting thing to bet on because it feels like there are locks, but you don't really know because you actually don't have much information out there to suggest that you know what's going to happen. Unlike, again, in many of these sports situations. So, yeah, people could do well, you know, betting on the Oscars. And I assume you're going to point out there's like hundreds of ways to do it through all these websites and so forth. Like you probably don't have to go to like the Bahamas anymore to like place a bet on the Oscars, right? You can just do that like anywhere you want. No, that's the beauty of this is like, you know, up until the last couple of years, this was not available in legal betting markets. And even since we spoke last year, there's so many more places in which you can get money down legally. Obviously, we're sponsored by FanDuel. You can bet on the Oscars on FanDuel, all the odds that we're talking about for the Oscars. They're coming from FanDuel. Uh, reminder, the Oscars, if you want to watch how you potentially do in your bets, 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Um, but yeah, it's it's fairly new. Let's get to it. Let's well, dig in. Before into you dive in, Chad. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you got to say? People should know it is limited. So like, if you, like you're listening on and you're going to bet on FanDuel, the max you're going to be able to get down is probably going to be 500. I mean, it's just like he talked about, it's so much rumor and stuff that the books don't want exposure to it. So that's definitely something to keep in mind here. If you think you're about to make a good, a good amount of money off this betting in person or betting online, I've already been to a couple of sports books. It's limited. Uh, they just don't want the exposure to it. And in my opinion, if they want to fix the Oscars, 
get a funny host. I, it, there's nothing better, especially as a peasant, a commoner, as I am, seeing a comedian just lay into these Hollywood actors at the Oscars. So to me, I, they got to bring it Simon, back. Simon, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I think, you know, there as maybe your listeners don't know, they're having three hosts on Sunday. Um, and Amy Schumer is one of the hosts. She's probably going to be the one who lays in the most. But yeah, this weird thing happened, not to bore everybody, but Kevin Hart was going to host the Oscars three years ago. Some old jokes surfaced. He got mini canceled for five seconds. And then the Academy got scared of having a host for a couple of years. And it's like, I'm old enough to remember when it was like Steve Martin, Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal. Like that was so fun because maybe part of what it was, was the reverence. You know, um, <laughs> they had even David Letterman, like and who was a little more off kilter, but they had a reverence. They could make fun of everybody in the room while still celebrating everybody. And it is so weird to me. It's really sad that somehow the Oscars, the hosting thing got so messed up that now like nobody wants to do it. I thought Jimmy Kimmel was excellent. He did it two years in a row and he famously did the one that had the snafu with best picture. I've talked to people in Jimmy Kimmel's circle and they're just like, it's thankless. Like it doesn't matter how good of a job you do the next day, the reviews all say you were fine and the show was too long. And so I think a lot of people, they just don't want to do it. They don't like want the guff. And again, I'm old enough to remember when like, Billy Crystal was the quasi permanent host for like a decade. You know, he took some time off, but he did it like six times in the nineties and it was really cool. So I really hope they go back to that. They went after a ton of comedians this year and everybody passed. If you know the right people, if they would have just got Pete Davidson. Yourself. Well, supposedly they asked Pete Davidson, but that's my point is that people like that are passing now because right. they're also a little afraid they're going to say something too blue and then they're going to get canceled. I mean, it speaks to a whole nother bigger issue about where we are in the state of comedy. So I think the three women that are doing it on Sunday, Wanda Sykes, Amy Schumer, and Regina Hall, yes, they're each taking like a different hour of the show. So let's dig in. Let's get to it. The first category, mm-hmm. best film, they expanded the nominations a few years ago. So I think there's 10 films up for best film of the year, Power of the Dog, Minus 140 starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons is the leader in the clubhouse. Coda, remake of a French film, plus 105 is number two. I've got very strong opinions here of the movies I've seen. I haven't seen all the movies, but I have seen these two movies. So I've seen the favorites. Michael, handicap it from your point of view, knowing Power of the Dog is sort of the leader in the, has the shortest odds and Coda has the second shortest odds. I should also name the other movies being in consideration. Belfast, Kenneth Branagh, uh, West Side Story, Steven Spielberg, Dune, I forgot, King Richard, as you mentioned, uh, that's the one starring Will Smith, Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson, Don't Look Up, oh, Jesus Christ, that was terrible, Adam McKay, uh, Drive My Car, and uh, Nightmare Alley, which is a bit of a surprise. So handicap it for me. Again, for your listeners, it almost could equate to sports in the sense of who you think is like, you know, looking good in September for the NFL versus looking good in January. Power of the Dog has been the prohibitive favorite for like four months. You know, Jane Campion, who won an Oscar for writing the piano in 1993, she has been in New Zealand and Australia making these really good TV shows like Top of the Lake, hasn't made a mainstream film in a while. And this is like Netflix's big, big push to finally win an Oscar for Best Picture And people really like this movie. I've seen it. It's very good. It's very interesting. It's got a very complex ending. But Coda is like the quasi little movie that could from Apple, another streaming service, 
that was bought at Sundance last year. Full disclosure, my colleague's client wrote and directed it, uh, but I swear I'm not biased, although I thought it was wonderful. And I like Power of the Dog a lot too. But Coda has come on very late and has a lot of momentum right now. And the thing that your listeners need to know is that the Academy voting only started like a week ago. So, you know, it doesn't matter what somebody thought in October. In October, people thought Belfast was going to be best picture. And I do not think that's going to win. So if you look at the last 10 years or so, more than certainly like the 50 years before the last 10 years, you've had a lot of split director and best picture winners. So like La La Land was best director 2016 for Damien Giselle. Moonlight was best picture. 2018, Alfonso Cuaron best director for Roma, but Green Book was best picture, right? Um, so you see that more and more. Uh, it ha- it's happening more and more. Um, 2015, Alfonso, uh, sorry, Alejandro Naritu won best director for the second year in a row for The Revenant and Spotlight was best picture. So jumping into your second major category, I think the smart money is that Jane Campion will win best director, but is going to win best picture. Now, Coda only has three Oscar nominations, and not since like Grand Hotel in 1932 has a movie with that few Oscar nominations won Best Picture. But the truth is, I don't think that stuff matters anymore. And ironically, what you're going to see, not to spoil, Dune will probably win the most Oscars on Sunday because it's going to dominate all the technical categories. So this is not one of those years where you have a Titanic that's going to win 11 Oscars or, you know, Lord of the Rings. Um, one thirteen, or maybe 11 Oscars, I can't remember, the third Lord of the Rings. So I think I would bet on Coda. I think Coda is surging um, and Power of the Dog. You know, Jane Campion probably wins Best Director. It, it's one of those two. Nobody else, Belfast, West Side Story, none of the others have a chance. I would tell you to, to bet on Coda. You know what's interesting? The way you described the power of the dog, nobody says, oh, I love this movie. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I like, I had all the feels. They're like, it's interesting. It's complex. I watched it. It was subtle to the point of non-existent. Like, it, it just, it, like, I, I almost, I didn't want to watch it at first because all the reviews were about how sadistic Benedict Cumberbatch is in the movie. And that's just not my jam. And, and so... I really was turned off by the way it was described. And then we decided to watch it, my wife and I, and we stopped in the middle and did a 45 minute Zoom with her parents, which was even more uninteresting. That, that's how the filmmaker pick, intended you to watch it, Chad. Yeah, I went, I picked up my kid at like 1130 at night. Like by the time, like it just didn't hold my attention. Whereas Coda, like I was all happy tears. Coda is a beautiful, wonderful film. You know, the funny thing about Power of the Dog, I saw it a couple months ago and I said to a friend, I liked it. I said, but I, it reminded me of Brokeback Mountain and I liked Brokeback Mountain much better. Well, I found out with a little bit of Googling, Power of the Dog is a novel from 1967 that Annie Prue read in like the 80s and it inspired her to write Brokeback Mountain, which was then adapted by Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana. So it's kind of interesting to see just how one person's art inspires the next generation because it has very similar themes. And apparently I just heard on another podcast, I won't name them. I don't want to draw your viewers away that um, the guy who wrote the book, who's dead, who wrote the power of the dog, it's basically based on his life. He's the kid. He had the abusive, um, he had the Benedict Cumberbatch guy in his life. I don't know if he did what the movie would tell you you, he might've done not to spoil it, 
but that was his, uh, that was his upbringing. So I, I hear you, Coda. It was just beautiful. You don't see enough about deaf culture. And it's kind of ironic as Marley Matlin, she was the first deaf person to win yeah. an Oscar in 1986 from uh, Children of a Lesser God, which is a really interesting movie. Actually, one of my client's mothers uh, wrote the play that it's based on. She passed away about two years ago. You just don't see this talked about a lot. And you see that family in that movie and you see how much love they have, but also how complicated they are. And I thought the young woman who you know played the, you know, the, the doctor who can hear, I thought she was incredible. To me, it was, <laughs> you know, Head and shoulders above Power of the Dog. Uh, I hope it wins the Oscar. I loved it. It was the exact right movie at the exact right time for me personally. Yeah. Just thought it was amazing. You mentioned Best Director. Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza is about plus 2,300, 23 to 1. Steven Spielberg, West Side Story, also 23 to 1. Kenneth Branagh, Belfast, 23 to 1. And then Risuke Hamaguchi, Drive My Car, 29 to 1. You mentioned Jane Campion. So she directed Power of the Dog. Right now on FanDuel, she is minus 2,400 to come home with the award. I, I think she will win. I mean, there was a snafu with her 10 days ago where she made this comment to the Williams' sisters at an award show where she said, you know, you guys are amazing, but I have to compete against the men and you don't. I think what she meant, I think, was that directing in movies has been male-dominated for over 100 years. I mean, there's only been like, I think Variety listed, there's only been 18 movies nominated for Best Picture directed by women. And as far as women nominated for Best Director, I mean, it's Lena Wertmiller in like 1976, I think. And then the next time it was Jane Campion in 1993. And then it was Sofia Coppola in 2003. And then it was Catherine Bigelow in 2009. And she was the first woman, woman to win Best Director. And then Greta Gerwig was nominated in... Um, in 2017 for Lady Bird. And, uh, and now we've got uh, Jane nominated again. So I think that's what she meant. Um, you know, I, I'm sure she's a nice person. Uh, see, I think she's going to win. I've talked to a lot of people this week in the business uh, who think that Spielberg is a dark horse um, just because he did such an amazing job of West Side Story. And but I, I don't know. I, I don't see it happening. I would bet on Jane Campion. Simon, I want you to, to weigh in on best actor. I want to ask one more question about director because, Michael, you mentioned Spielberg. So to me, that movie was indicative of a very inside movie industry story. Everyone loved it. Took a while to put together. Beautifully directed, colorful, wonderful new talent. Comes out and is critically loved and bombs at the box office because for a variety of reasons, you know, the, the studio wanted to put it out at the box office. They delayed or they waited on the streaming. It just debuted on Disney plus. I wonder if he is becoming while it's Spielberg and he's sort of the most powerful person in the world when it comes to this business, like, is he representative of sort of Hollywood struggling with the way things are changing and they are rooting for him and it because it was so good and didn't do well critically when they really would like movies like this to do well? That could be a big part of it. And I think the other thing too, that you cannot underestimate. So the Academy uh, in the last five years, they like massively opened the voter rolls and they, they added about 5,000 members. And it was a, it was a initiative to add more diverse people, younger people, types of people that maybe had not been welcomed in the Academy for many, many years. But what's interesting, if you look at the winners, I mean, like, then you still had Green Book win. 
you know, and it's like, that feels like a movie that was voted on by people over 60. And I, I liked Green Book. Um, so I think that my point is the Academy is still on the older side. I think the weird thing about West Side Story, to be quite honest, is like this movie already won Best Picture. I mean, it won like 11 Oscars in 1961. So it's like, and, and he did an amazing job with it. But that's what seems weird to me is like, are we honoring him for a movie that was already like one of the great masterpieces ever? Spielberg is not going anywhere. He is a spry, like 73-year-old man who is going to make a gazillion more movies. So I, I would bet on, on Jane Campion. Also, it's very interesting. Just because this is a, a pattern doesn't mean it's going to happen. But if you go back to 2010, I could name them for you in a second if you want me to. Almost every best director is a non-American-born director, um, which is, I think, really great and fascinating that like the rest of the world is you know producing these amazing voices they're ultimately coming to america so like i mean you guys study all this stuff you look at these numbers that would suggest jane campion's gonna win because i mean every every year it's a non-american born director has been winning lately that well, maybe is a trend that is a trend to go on simon hunter michael is bringing next level analytics to the best directing category a lot of these big movies have been flopping like the last duel that was one of the bigger flops of last year and had one of the biggest budgets. So we're definitely seeing a trend where it's like, I think they need to start thinking about what audience is going to go out and see these movies other than people that are old, like Chad, that just want to sit at home, get their movie and watch <laughs> it on the couch. Like you don't really feel like going to the movies and the movie you did go see out. Wasn't it Spider-Man? I went to see the Batman, Batman. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. It, it was a little long and literally too dark. Like I couldn't see a fucking thing. So uh, when it, when it was over, my wife and kid were like, we loved it. I'm like, yeah, they're like, and my wife was like, you couldn't really see it. Could you? I'm like, I could not see anything. Yeah. I haven't I mean, seen it yet. Cause it's hard to get out. The movie's three hours long and the Grove, our closest movie theater in LA runs 35 minutes of previews and commercials. And my wife and I, we can't make the like five hour round trip to go see the movie between like feeding the bait. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, but, but here's the thing though. And this goes to your point about last duel, Simon, they already announced the Batman's coming on HBO max at the end of April, the studios, they think they have to do it shortening their own timeline, literally by putting these movies out so fast onto VOD to make more money. I mean, you guys all know time goes by so fast. If you were like an adult who wanted to see the last duel, all you had to wait was like a month to see it. And a month goes by really fast. You have other shit to do. And that's why a lot of those movies are, are starting to fail at the box office. It's a double-edged sword, though, because I'm an old soul. I'm not good with technology. I can get you any movie you want right now for free. So right. that's what they're <laughs> right. dealing with here. It's like, I get what they'd want to delay Batman, but it's like, I don't know. I could have got that opening weekend, you know, the Chinese version, the Russian version, whatever. It would have the subtitles at the bottom, but it would be clear picture. So I get it, man. It's It's a tough battle for these movie things. That's why... This next category is funny. Best actor. This feels like a makeup award this year. So Will Smith, I'm looking at right here for King Richard minus 600. That's yeah, that's crazy. And Benedict Cumberbatch, who you know, Chad just talked about a little bit with the power of the dog. That to me, that was pretty good acting. Like I did not like him at all. And he's to me a pretty likable guy. Um, so he's in there plus 550. That That's really that's a crazy discrepancy from the first place guy to the second place guy. Is that really? Is that just what it's a foregone conclusion this year that it's just going to be a, a total smith? foregone conclusion? And and I thought, I mean, they look, Benedict was great. I think that the Will Smith thing is half of a makeup Oscar. And what I mean by that is I think it's a great performance. He is worthy of winning. 
sometimes people talk about makeup Oscars where people win Oscars for roles that weren't as challenging as other roles, but it feels like a makeup Oscar because we've liked Will Smith for so long and he's been nominated two other times. There were a couple other times he should have been nominated that he wasn't like even going back to six degrees of separation. And um, so I think there's a sense of like, it's just his time and we love him and we want to give it to him. I mean, he's been, quote unquote, running for six months. He released his long awaited autobiography. He's doing all this massive publicity, but I thought he was really good. And, and I, yeah, there it's on your, it's on your shelf. And I, um, I watched that movie and I, I felt like I was not watching Will Smith and Benedict Cumberbatch is a brilliant actor for the people who've never seen um, his uh, Sherlock Holmes BBC show. It's incredible, but he's just going to be around. He's going to get nominated five more times. So this, this to me is the lock of the night. Like, I, when I watched King Richard 10 minutes in, I was like, yeah, he's winning the Oscar. Like this is, this is when he's, when he's like fighting with the gangs who are like stalking the, his daughters is like, okay, he's winning the Oscar. Like he's amazing. So that, that is the lock. I don't know how much you can win on that. Why does that make you, when you see that, why does that make you feel like it? I, I think of that and it feels like a very consistent trope in movies about sports. Which, which part in particular you sort mean of, like? It's it's the father being protective in a difficult neighborhood of his children against gangs. Like that that's not sort of unique in cinema to me. Why does something like that, when it's done in this movie, speak to you as he's guaranteed well, to win it? For me, I thought it was just the pure acting of like him, like going at night to like, face the gang again and then getting beaten up. I just felt it was so raw, but, but to further answer your question, I think why the movie was so interesting and I'll, I'll admit, I mean, I'm, I only knew, I think I had a biased opinion of Richard Williams based on the news of the nineties that he was this cranky dad who was like overbearing, but you saw, you see that movie, which granted the Williams sisters produced. And it seems like, no, he, he was trying to protect these kids to give them a real childhood and to also, you know, manage the expectations of their lives. But ultimately, I thought what made the movie interesting going forward, you know, past those early scenes um, was how he was managing their lives and wanting them to be kids and taking them out of the junior tournaments and all that stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's a very good question. I, I, I get your point, whether it's The Blind Side or other movies like that. It's definitely a trope, but I think it happened. I mean, that that's the thing, you know, from what I have read about the Williams's sisters, uh, that was a real thing, you know? Um, and I don't know. I, I just thought Will Smith, he was, he was complicated in that movie, but powerful. And you, you got kind of how much he loved these kids because he was so fueled by trying to give them a better chance than what he had had, obviously. So anyways, I think that that's the lock of the night. He, he's going to win. I like this next one is a little bit better because it's so flip-floppy. I've been checking it for the last couple of months and for Best Actress, it's been moving around a lot. So just checking now in FanDuel, Jessica Chastain, the eyes of Tammy... Uh, how do you pronounce that last name? Tammy Faye. Hey, Tammy Faye. The eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, minus 140, which is new to me because I literally checked not even a week ago and Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos was favorite at the time. She's now plus 240. Kristen Stewart for Spencer, plus uh, 500. And... You know, I, I don't hate Penelope Cruz. She's all at the bottom for uh, Parallel Mothers plus 1600, which I thought she was really good at. I honestly, of all the movies I watched, of all these actresses, I've only seen three of these. 
to me on this list, she was my favorite one. So that's surprisingly seeing her at the bottom there, plus 1,600. Well, what I think is happening in this category, and Jessica Jastain is a, is a client of a colleague of mine. Um, you know, <laughs> I, got, I got to give you all my, uh, all my conflicts of interest. Um, you have five women. Uh, Penelope Cruz won Best Supporting Actress for Vicky Cristina Barcelona back, I think, in, 2000, in 2008. Um, Olivia Coleman won Best Actress in 2018 for The Favorite. Um, and then you've got Nicole Kidman, who won Best Actress in 2002 for The Hours. Um, and then you have Kristen Stewart and you have Jessica Chastain. So you have three women who have already won the Oscar. And Jessica Chastain has been nominated twice before. She's a brilliant actress who the community really, really respects. She's excellent in Tammy Faye. Um, Kristen Stewart was great in um, Spencer, but that's a movie I feel like people were very divided on. and. Part of me thinks people just look at this category and think, well, three of the women already have an Oscar. Kristen Stewart's pretty young. She's going to be back. Chastain was nominated twice before for The Help and Zero Dark Thirty. It's just kind of her time. And so, but this one is, a, is it, this one could be a surprise. I think Chastain will win. She's been surging as of late, but you can't count out, like Olivia Coleman is really good in The Lost Daughter. And Olivia Coleman is one of those British actors and actresses now where it just seems like we're going to give them five Oscars because they're just genius in everything they do. And she is amazing in that film. But I would put your money on Chastain. I think she's going to win. Can we uh, take, can we knock down the brilliance of Jessica Chastain and Penelope Cruz because they were 40% of the three five five, which I tried to watch and it was so bad. I had to turn it off and I almost never turn off movies. You're going to get me in trouble. You know what? It's everybody. They make people make a lot of movies and not all movies work and making movies very hard. It's a real alchemy. I represent a lot of people, people here's the thing about movies. You have to remember about anything TV. There's always somebody on the other side doing their absolute best. And sometimes it doesn't uh, connect, you know, no different than than athletes. They're trying their hardest, and they don't they don't always. Uh, I don't you know, disagree connect. with you. I did. I watched that movie. I love Jessica Chastain. Love her. Love Penelope yeah. Cruz. Think she's amazing. Yeah. Like I watched that movie. I turned it on. I was like, everybody in my house was out. I'm like, I've been. I've seen the previews for this. I've been wanting to see it. I turned it on. I'm like, oh god. Oh boy. <laughs> and they were acting their hearts out. They were trying so hard, and they were putting everything behind it. It just. Yeah. You know, wasn't translating. Best supporting actor. Uh, we talked about Power of the Dog. We talked about uh, Kirsten Dunst's son in that movie and how Benedict Cumberbatch sort of terrorizes him. Cody Smith McPhee plus twenty two uh, plus two twenty to win the Oscar. Troy Kotzer for Coda is at minus three fifty. Kieran. Hines. I looked it up. I want to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly because it's Gaelic. Kieran Hines, Belfast, plus 1800. Jesse Plemons, one of my favorites as a Friday Night Lights advocate, devotee, the power of the dog, Kirsten Dunn's husband in real life and in the movie, plus 2800. J.K. Simmons being the Ricardos. He was probably the best part of the movie for me, uh, plus 3500. Yeah. This one is, this is another kind of lock of the night. I mean, again, if you do go off the trend, Troy Kotzer has won every major award. Look, what you have to decide about Sunday, since Coda only has three nominations, 
you're either all in on Coda or you're not. And it's nominated for supporting actor, adapted screenplay and picture. And so you have to just think like, do I believe that there's a Coda surge? If there's a Coda surge, it's going to sweep those three Oscars. And that's, and, and by the way, I want to be clear. There are lots of movies that have won Best Picture that have only won one or two Oscars. Argo, famously in 2012, won Best Picture and Best Editing. That's it. So there's movies that win Best Picture that only win an Oscar or two. There's just not a lot that only get three no- nominations. Um, I think he'll win. He's really, really good in the movie. Um, he's kind of the discovery of this Oscar season. I mean, apparently, you know, he's been acting for years and he was homeless and you know, he's had a hard time making a living because there's only so many parts for deaf actors. So I think he'll win. The, you know, the early season favorite was Cody Smith McPhee, but I don't think that's happening. And now you could argue he's kind of canceled out by Jesse Plemons. J.K. Simmons already won supporting actor in um, 2014 for Whiplash. And I don't think he's going to win. And then you've got uh, Kieran Hines, who I thought was incredible in Belfast. That to me is sort of like, we've loved this guy for 25 years and he's really good in this movie. Let's nominate him, but he's not going to win. Apparently he has COVID right now. So I hope he can go on Sunday. Best original screenplay. Belfast at plus 150. Don't look up. Ugh, this was so bad. Plus 470. <laughs> the worst person in the world, uh, plus 1,000. King Richard, plus 2,300. The favorite is Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson, minus 140. Don't say don't look up as a long shot. That movie was freaking terrible. So this, this is a really, really weird category. I will go ahead and tell you this. Is, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to give you a pick, but like, we'll break it down quickly. I do not think don't look up will win. Uh, McKay won an Oscar in 2015 for the big short. He's been nominated a ton now. I don't think that's going to win. So take that off the board. I don't think King Richard's going to win. Take that off the board. That leaves Belfast, Licorice Pizza, and the worst person in the world. Worst person in the world is a really, really good movie that came on very, very late in the Oscar season. It's a foreign film. It's also nominated for Best International Film. This has a real shot of winning. I don't, I'm not convinced yet that it will because I don't think it's quite had the, the time to seep in, but, but it has a real shot. Belfast could win simply because Kenneth Braun has been nominated like for 10 Oscars now, all the way back to Henry V in 1989 for Best Director and Best Actor, which is an amazing film he made. He was like 23. And this could kind of be his makeup Oscar. Um, and it's about his childhood. And he did a really good job. And then you have Paul Thomas Anderson. This is another one where it felt like two months ago, okay, it's time to anoint PTA once and for all. And I, I worship Paul Thomas Anderson. Worship. But like Licorice Pizza is probably his seventh best movie he's made. And I loved it. But I, the more I think about it, I just don't know if that's going to be what we look back and say, that's the movie Paul Thomas Anderson won an Oscar for. So I'm giving you a non-answer answer. It's a three-way heat between Belfast, Licorice Pizza, and Worst Person in the World. If I was betting now, I would, I would still probably go with Paul Thomas Anderson for Sunday. Belfast is one of those movies where I was talking to our mutual friend and Hollywood stalwart, uh, Isabel Gomez, yesterday. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, a genius. Uh, yeah, we were talking about Belfast and because why talk about work? I was like, Belfast is the movie that I've tried to watch. My wife and I have tried to watch a thousand times, but it's just so seemingly only like it's only like 90 minutes, Chad. Yeah. I mean, come on. I know. But every single time it's like we settle on a movie like Marry Me instead because it's just lighter <laughs> and happier and we're just not in the mood. Well, the, the, the funny thing about Belfast, I can't take credit for this joke, but a lot of I, I talked to another podcaster out there who she very funnily said um 
Belfast is just like Kenneth Branagh being like, guess what? My parents were smoking hot. Like, <laughs> like the, the casting <laughs> in that movie are just like, look at my gorgeous father and my gorgeous mother and look at them dance and sing to each other. Like you must've had a very beautiful family, Kenneth Branagh. My parents um, did not look like that. All right. Best adapted screenplay, Power of the Dog, uh, plus 130. Coda is the leader in the clubhouse at minus 140. Lost Daughter, plus 600. Uh, Dune, plus 2400. And then Drive My Car uh, is sneaking in the middle there, plus 1600. This is another Coda versus Power of the Dog. And this is a category where when, you know, if Coda wins this one, it's going all the way. If Power of the Dog wins this one, power of the dog's probably going all the way and you have to look for these kind of momentum turns i think coda is going to win sean heater who my colleague represents uh and another client of mine's working with on a tv show she's a wonderful filmmaker you know this is the only way to give her an oscar on sunday she was not nominated for best director and she's not part of the producing team for coda so like this is how to give her a, a statue and jane campion is going to get her statue with best director and I think that the Power of the Dog book was complicated material to adapt. But like when I watched that movie, I did not come away thinking about the script. I came away thinking about the direction and about the photography and about the music, which it's nominated for for cinematography and music. And it, it could win those categories. So I would go with Coda. I think Coda is going to win. I hope so. It's very interesting because of all the, the other categories Coda's in, it's still plus money to bet on Coda. This is the only one where the momentum has kind of swung and made Coda the prohibitive favorite. All right. Yeah, she she won the WGA award on Sunday, which can be a pretty decent uh, outlier. So we'll see. Start your bracket with a bang. Right now, FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new customers a $150 instant bonus guaranteed. That's right. You'll get $150 in bonus site credit and all you have to do is place your first bet of $5 or more. How you bet the bracket is up to you. You can choose from the money line, totals, prop bets, and so much more. And with cash out, the ball's in your court so you can close out your bet whenever you want before the game is over. Personally, I'd go with Purdue to lay it on St. Peter's as heavy favorites Thursday night. Join FanDuel today with promo code favorites. Then you can place your $5 bet to score 150 in bonus site credit guaranteed. That's promo code favorites on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Let's do a quick round of trivia. We promised people we would test, although you did prove many times throughout the podcast, your completely obsessive, maybe unhealthy knowledge of <laughs> sure. uh, the major categories in history and the nominees and the winners for the Oscars. But for the Academy Awards presented in 1982, 
So the 1981 movies. 1981 movies. Exactly. Yeah. Who were the best picture nominees and who won? Best picture nominees for the 1982 Academy Awards, the 1981 movies were Raiders of the Lost Ark, directed by Steven Spielberg, On Golden Pond, directed by Mark Rydell, Reds, directed by Warren Beatty, um, Chariots of Fire, directed by Hugh Hudson, who was not nominated uh, for Best Director, and Chariots of Fire was the Best Picture. And the last nominee in 1981 was Atlantic City, directed by Louis Mal or Molly. I don't, I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name. He's French director. Chariots of Fire won. That is sick. You are 100% correct on all the nominees. And the fact you pulled Atlantic City out and saved it for the end, that's some real showbiz chops right there. Simon. <laughs> Thank you. Ask question number two. When the Academy Awards presented in 2002, who were the best actor nominees and who won? Okay, that, so that's for the movies of 2001. The winner was Denzel Washington for Training Day. Also nominated was Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom. And then the other three nominees were uh, Russell Crowe uh, for Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Mind won Best Picture that year. So that's three. And the other two, I have to think real quickly. I mean, I know I know these. Um, I have to like keep running it. So you've got Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom. Denzel Washington wins for Training Day. Oh, excuse me. Will Smith for Ali. Uh, so that's four. Oh, and then the fifth one was Sean Penn for my aunt, Sam. So those, those were the five nominees. Uh, I don't think <laughs> Sean, Sean, Penn, Sean Penn did not come. Uh, I think he left early. So they had, they had to like put his picture up at the thing. Sean Penn won two years later in 2003 for Mystic River. And then he won in 2008 for Milk. Uh, so he's won the Best Actor Oscar twice. And he was first nominated for Dead Men Walking in 1995, which is an incredible movie, incredible performance. Then he was nominated again in 1999 for Sweet and Lowdown, a Woody Allen film. Dead Man Walking was an amazing movie. Uh, unbelievable. Susan Sarandon won Best yeah. Actress for that. Tim Robbins, who was her husband at the time, was nominated for Best Director. That was a cool moment because Tim Robbins, for your listeners, was just the pitcher from Bull Durham. And of course, Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption. And then he directed a movie. It was his second movie he had directed. And I, that movie is a masterpiece. I love that movie. Final question. What Best Picture winner from the 1990s so films released 90 to 99 has the lowest score on Rotten Tomatoes today. Tomato wow. meter, tomato meter. Wow. The okay. Score. Interesting. So let's just, we got to go through the list and I have to think about this. 1990s Dance of the Wolves, 1991 is Silence of the Lambs, 92 is Unforgiven, 93 is Schindler's List, 94 is Forrest Gump, 95 is Braveheart, 96 is The English Patient, 97 is Titanic, 98 is Shakespeare in Love, 99 is American Beauty. Okay. Those are the winners. Based on those winners, I would think, I would think that it is Shakespeare in Love or American Beauty. And so my final answer is going to be, I think it would be Shakespeare in Love. That's my answer. Not even close. Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump oh, sure, sure. Is at 70. Braveheart is at 78. But that also could be people just, you know, being sick of Mel Gibson. English Patient, 86, Titanic, American Beauty, both tied at 87. Oh, I'm sorry. Dances with Wolves is at 83. Then Schindler's List is number one, uh, Silence of the Lambs, and Unforgiven, both tied at number two. The Forrest Gump thing makes sense because, um, I mean, I love Forrest Gump. I, saw, I, I famously saw that movie twice the same day it opened. I saw it at noon and I saw it at seven o'clock. I was so transfixed by it. But 
I now remember Forrest Gump, there was a lot of people in the 1994 who thought that movie was just like so stupidly like hollow, you know, just like like that 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 was a bit of a divider when some people just were transfixed by it, like myself, who was 15, and some people thought it was just silly, like just gibberish, you know, and him just going through history and having all these, you know, and oh, now Jenny has AIDS and you know, all, all the stuff that it was kind of coded for. But I love Forrest Gump. Now that year is one of the best Oscar years ever because you've got Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, and then Four Weddings and a Funeral and Quiz Show are the five nominees. I mean, three of those nominees are all-time classic movies. So, I mean, I was bummed Pulp Fiction didn't win Best Picture, but Tarantino did win his first Oscar for writing it with Roger Avery. So that was, they, you know, that was the spreading it around. But that that was the year that Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, who directed Forrest Gump, I mean, that was kind of his year. I mean, I think Forrest Gump won seven Oscars. I stand by Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. Love Forrest Gump. Great movie. True story. Quiz show was shot on my block on the Upper West Side of Manhattan the summer I moved to New York. And my wife later became Rob Morrow's architect. Oh, wow. That's very ironic. I mean, quiz show for all your listeners, because that's not a movie that has survived, uh, you know, in the last 25 years that people, I mean, I don't think it's a, a heavily watched film. It is an absolute masterpiece. Um, I took a class at USC when I was in film school where that movie was broken down and like the production design, the costume design, because for your listeners at home, the movie has three lead actors. John Turturro plays this like rumpled, you know, Jewish guy from Brooklyn who's on the quiz show. Ray Fiennes is the like waspy guy, you know, who's from this upper crust family, uh, Charles Van Buren. And then Robin Morrow is kind of in the middle and he's like the investigator of the quiz show scandals. And if you go back and watch that movie, the way they dress each character, the way their apartments look, the way they shoot each character, Robert Redford directed that. He was nominated for Best Director. It's an amazing, amazing movie um, and a really interesting look at a thing that happened, these quiz show scandals in the 1950s. So it's definitely worth checking out. All right. This was a really a lesson, and I feel completely and totally prepared to bet on all these categories for the Oscars. And for anyone who needs even more Oscars talk that goes even deeper into more categories, you would not believe what our Action Network experts can dig up. Check out the Action Network podcasts this week. Michael Lasker, again, really one of the 40 most powerful people in comedy, (laughs) according to The Hollywood Reporter, and definitely the most powerful person from Hollywood on this podcast from Mosaic the management company. You are an Oscar savant. You've given us a real gift today. Thank you for joining. For Simon Hunter, for producer extraordinaire, Matt Mitchell. I am Chad Millman. This has been The Favorites. Download us from Spotify, from Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars. Say anything you want. Feedback is a gift. Until next time, love you. Love you.